Welcome to the Photo Pros Podcast. You'll hear insights and anecdotes on the careers and lives of world-class photographers from all genres. Let's get inspired. Here's your host, Rob Noel. If you love portraits as much as I do, then you probably love looking at gorgeous coffee table books of portraiture by some of the greats like Avedon, Irving Penn, or Karsh. And maybe you gravitate to more contemporary artists like Annie Leibovitz, Dan Winters, or Marco Grobe. If that sounds like you, then you've got something in common with my guest today. It's New York celebrity photographer Jesse Dittmar. And like many of us, he was introduced to photography in high school, where he shot film and spent hours studying books of celebrity portraiture. Difference is, Jesse is now photographing the famous himself, and he has two books of his own as well. After assisting some big names in the photography industry early in his career, he struck out on his own and now shoots for publications like the Washington Post, Rolling Stone, and Vanity Fair. Hey, thanks for joining me on the Photo Pros podcast today. I'm Rob Knoll. Let's get into Jesse's story now. Today, I'm joined on the podcast with Jesse Dittmar from New York City. Jesse is a celebrity photographer who's done some incredible work, uh, has published a couple of books, has done many exhibitions, and uh, we're just excited to get into a conversation. Jesse, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me, Rob. Looking forward to it. Jesse, uh, the, the usual question um, that, that I think you want to start in an introduction is, is how did you get into photography? What was the starting point for you? I mean, I've been infatuated with the the concept of taking portraits uh, since I was uh, just starting high school. So about 14, 15, uh, I remember uh, sitting on on the gross carpet of of my local Barnes and Noble and just pulling out all of the uh, all of the art photography books and portrait books off the shelves and, and just being, you know, literally blown away and and wondering how, how is this possible? How, how, how does someone get, be able to get to make this work? And, uh, and when I asked myself that question at that time, my, you know, my life until now has been kind of just figuring, figuring out the answer to that question. Um, I I've read that your father, uh, introduced you at an early age to some r- relatively famous people. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I, I think it's one of the reasons, uh, one of the key reasons why I'm, you know, successful at interacting with people who are, you know, much more famous than I am. Uh, you know, I, my dad is in the music industry and I grew up going to concerts since I was five years old. So I was put into very small rooms at a very young age with very famous people and uh, taught how to interact and just be a normal person with, with someone that was, you know, had just either come off stage in front of thousands of people or was about to go on stage in front of thousands of people. So, you know, at five, you don't really understand what fame is, I would say, but I inherently knew that these people were important to all the people that were uh, outside in the stands. So, you know, I, I grew up in that environment in rooms that I now kind of similar rooms, sized rooms to where I walk in now with a camera in my hands and have to interact again with people that, you know, are accomplished and, uh, and important. And so it was just a great training ground for me to learn how to shake somebody's hand and have a normal conversation 
uh, with them, even though many people might idolize them. Do you, do you think that would have been an advantage then at an early age, being around people that are famous and having it kind of not really phase you at, at, an, at a young age? And, and so making you perhaps more comfortable around celebrities now? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I think that certainly I had my moments of being phased and fandom. And uh, if anything, it just kind of normalized the process to me. And it wasn't novel when I got to meet someone who I knew was famous. You know, it, had, it was a process that I had been uh, exposed to since I was a small kid. So, you know, when I was hired to photograph my first celebrity, it wasn't the first time I had met a famous person. So I was able to go into that scenario uh, with a solid level of, uh, of foresight and knowing what to expect. Um, so, you know, I think one of the big challenges of photographing celebrities is the fact that they are, that, that it might be intimidating how famous they are. Um, and that intimidation was less for me, I think, than others, because I, I had been exposed to, to many celebrities growing up. So you, you got into photography around high school, I believe, and then, and then you attended NYU. What did you take at NYU? I started in the art school at NYU in the photo school, uh, and then and then I switched. I, I transferred into this program called Gallatin, which is an individualized studied program where you kind of get to choose your own major. and uh, And so I ended up ended up studying critical writing about photography, uh, and that that involved just like really immersing myself in the medium from an academic perspective, as well as still being able to uh, take practical photography courses. Uh, and it was able to, you know, the individualized study school at NYU uh, encourages you and forces you to uh, utilize as much of the university as possible in your in your curriculum, uh, as opposed to the, you know, being in any one of the other schools at NYU, I think there are seven or eight, uh, you're kind of like siloed within that, within that school, um, for the most part. So I found it to be just a much uh, more well-rounded education and kind of mind expanding experience. Uh, it was great for me. I, I learned, I learned a ton and I had, I, you know, had an amazing internship and, uh, and, and, you know, individualized, you know, studies and courses. It was cool. That sounds great. I mean, a lot of people today are just picking up cameras. The barrier to entry has just been lowered, um, you know, um, and so everybody thinks they can be a photographer. Do, do you feel like that kind of academic background has has been a huge benefit to your career? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, the barrier entry is low for sure uh, now. Everyone has a camera in their pocket. And I think that's great, honestly. I think the more photography there is, the better for me. Uh, you know, that means it's a it's it's a medium that people uh, that people value that they can speak in and you know, I'm a fan of photography. So, you know, more photography is not bad. And yeah, I think that going to school, you know, expanded my, expanded my skill set and brain in ways that, um, you know, just picking up and learning a camera can't, uh, learning how to use a camera can't. So I use, I use skills that I learned in school all the time that have very little to do with photography. And, uh, would I be where I am today without those skills? It's possible certainly, but, uh, I can't, I can't deny they haven't helped. Learning is a good thing, Rob. 
I've always had on my Twitter handle, uh, sometimes a teacher, but always a student. Mm-hmm. So you've assisted some of the best in this business, Bent Baker, Chris Buck, Annie Leibowitz, Martin Scholler. That's a pretty impressive list of people to have assisted with. I mean, even if you weren't running your own career now um, as Jesse Dittmar photographer, I mean, having assisted those people is impressive enough. But um, my question to you is, what, what does it take to be a good assistant? And how did you get those jobs? You know, I think assisting is a, listen, assisting is not for everyone. But for me, it was it was such an amazing, such an amazing opportunity. And it was like grad school, really. Uh, I, I learned, I, I really learned how, how it happens from assisting. I learned, I learned, you know, what, what's behind the curtain, you know, what goes into the sauce, you know, uh, and there's just no possible way to know that unless you have assisted in some capacity. So uh, it was so cool. Um, my understanding of what takes a good assistant has really evolved certainly from when I first started assisting until now, now being, now being a person that hires assistants, um, you know, assisting its its own career in, in, in its own right. Like you kind of alluded to, you know, people, can be career assistance and working for the photographers you mentioned that I have been able to work for is a deserving career in its own right. Um, and distinctly different than being a photographer, certainly. But I, I break down assisting into, into four major categories, um, and four major kind of skill sets or needs. And, uh, the first one is the first one is just purely availability. Uh, it's, it's kind of a similar concept across almost any job. Um, you know, I think photography kind of attracts people that are not, are are not usually don't have a lot of, uh, exposure to a normal workforce and a normal kind of like work day. You know, I think that photography is, is an art and it attracts artists. Uh, and so I will get a lot of assistants who will ask to assist me. And they'll be like, well, my availability is Monday through Wednesday until one and then Friday, you know, and I'll just, I'll just be like, you know what, let's, let's have you reach back out to me when, when your schedule's freed up a bit. Uh, You know, the first thing you have to do is be available because uh, it's a job and it's a full-time job and it's a job that takes an an immense amount of your time if you're going to work with a good photographer. So number one thing is to be available um, which surprisingly not everyone is. Um, and then kind of along with that, I think what makes a great assistant is commitment. Um, it, it goes hand in hand with availability, but you know, you have to be ready, willing, and able to get up early, go home late, miss other plans, interrupt events that you might have needed to go to. I mean, on a shoot day, I could be up literally anywhere from three in the morning and then the shoot might not end until three in the morning. You know, it, it's not usual, but it happens and you need to have the commitment, uh, to be all in for, for anything and to be focused on, on what you're doing and what the task at hand. And then once you have those two things, which, you know, I don't think, uh, require a lot of skill to be, to be available and committed. Um, then you have to be competent. You have to, you have to be smart and you have to be able to learn. And, you know, you're not expected to know everything as an assistant when you start out for sure, but you're expected to learn things quickly and to be constantly growing and being getting better. Uh, 
you know, I don't expect every assistant who comes on set with me to know every single piece of equipment that I use, but I expect them to be able to learn it. And so that's competency. And then the last thing that makes a good assistant is personality fit. Um, it's a very intimate job. You know, I have to want to be able to get in a car with you and the photographers I worked with wanted to have to be able to want, had to be able to want to get in a car with me and drive for six hours, uh, or get on a plane with me and, and, and get on a plane with them and go around the world and stay in hotels and, you know, see them more than I would see my significant other. Uh, so you have to, you know, you can, you can be committed, available and competent, but if, if you don't, uh, if you don't have a good personality fit, it's just not going to work. So if you have all four of those things, it's, it's like magic and you, you get to learn so much. You'll, you'll, uh, you'll walk away with, uh, so much knowledge that you can then put towards your own work. If you like, um, it's really an amazing kind of apprenticeship opportunity out in the photo world. That's, that's, that's a great answer. And, and I wonder if any of your assistants that you've worked with that you've had helping you have any of them now gone on to their own photography businesses? Yeah, a couple have a couple have moved on for sure. And I, I welcome that. Uh, I expect, I expect the assistants to come through for the most part, not everyone, but I expect the assistants to come through my, uh, my operation to grow and eventually to kind of age out, uh, and, and go on and, and do their own thing. So, uh, certainly some of them have, have moved on to being working photographers, but not every assistant moves on to being a working photographer. You know, I think that being a photographer is really a really, really specific lifestyle and it's not for most. Uh, so, so I, I find that majority of the assistants I work with, you know, are still assisting now because I'm a young photographer or, uh, or sometimes they move on to different different things because it's grueling being a uh, being a freelance photographer. It takes it takes a lot. It sure does. Um, talk about the early days. Like you, I, I've read a lot where you've said, you know, you were trying desperately to get jobs and and it just wasn't happening. It wasn't happening, and then suddenly uh, you got uh, a break where I think it was the uh, editor at Washington Post, Ann Farrar had a look at your portfolio and then things kind of just took off. Is that right? Yeah, that's, that's the, that's the, the cliff notes for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, that's uh, the, that's the Coles version. What's the real version? I mean, the real version is that I was, by the time I was kind of thinking about finishing assisting, I was in that weird transitional phase where I was getting restless and I was wanting to do it myself and being on my own and, and, and be the photographer and not the assistant. I, I was always itching to, to become the photographer I wanted to be. And, and then, you know, uh, I had the opportunity to be a first assistant on a shoot, uh, with the president and the first lady in the white house. And I just felt like, you know, it was the third or fourth time I had been on photograph, uh, photo shoots with, uh, with the president Obama. And, uh, and I just felt like it was a great end to that career. So I quit cold Turkey after that. Of being an assistant. That was in 2012. Uh, the Washington Post hired me to photograph uh, Adina Menzel uh, at the end of 2013. So, you know, almost almost two years of uh, not having a career uh, as an assistant or a photographer. And that was incredibly difficult. Um, I was going on, I probably went on about 100 meetings in that time, showing people my work. Um, I thought I was ready and in 2012 when I quit assisting, I had, I had, I was bidding on jobs. I was 
being told, oh, you were up for this, or, you know, we were thinking about you for this. Um, but, you know, you're up for something, we're thinking about you for something isn't, isn't the job. So even though there were a lot of signs pointing towards this was something that um, people wanted me to do, I didn't really get asked to do it uh, for quite some time. Uh, and that was really hard. It was really, really hard. It was to the point where, you know, thinking about what is plan B, if there is one. Uh, and then, you know, I kind of, I went to Washington, D.C. D.C. was one of the last markets I went to for meetings. I, I went on meetings in every every city in America, and D.C. was one of the last ones. And I met with uh, the photo editor, one of the main, the head lead photo editors at the Washington Post. And, uh, and, you know, similar to assisting, you know, there was, I was available, I was competent, I was, I was, uh, committed and, and we liked each other. And, uh, and then she asked me to do a photo shoot and 12 months after I did that photo shoot with, with Anne and the Washington Post, I had done 80 photo shoots with a whole variety of clients. Um, so it was kind of just like a water dam opening and, uh, and, you know, at the end of, 2014 I was undoubtedly a photographer and it was my career and that was really exciting at the time. So there's uh, certainly a, a good number of portrait photographers, celebrity portrait photographers out there. Uh, how would you define or describe your style? I mean my visually my style is you know I shoot a lot of black and white I shoot some color too um but I shoot film black and white um and you know I've got a lot of grain in there I've got I've got uh I've got a very I've got a very simple style uh in essence I try to strip away all of the distractions and really try to focus on the person and that's that's what my work really is about is focusing on the person very specifically um and and kind of who they are at a base level. Um, it's a very equalizing style. I, I photograph the most famous people in the world, very similarly to how I photograph, um, someone who is not famous. And, uh, I, I, I try to try to make this effect that you feel like you're sitting in front of the person and that you're, that you're having an intimate conversation with them. Um, there, my portraits are typically, um, you know, typically intimate and, and quiet and, uh, you know, generally, uh, in more of a kind of attractive light. And, um, and that's how I treat my sessions. I'm just, I'm just trying to connect with someone on a human level and represent that through my work. I showed, I, I, I purchased your book, um, too, and I absolutely love it. Thank you. And, uh, unfortunately it's sitting locked in my office at college, um, due to COVID. So, <laughs> but I, uh, I took it to school and I showed it to uh, a group of students, uh, one day and I said, Oh yeah. What'd they think? Well, I said to them, tell me what, do you think these are good portraits and why? And they looked through a number of the pages and, and the funny thing was they didn't even recognize half of the people there. Right. Cause that was, yeah, I know. was pretty funny. They're so young. That's so funny. But the thing I thought was a great comment from one of the students was, she says, I feel as though I'm standing right in front of that person. Yeah, that's it right there. Yeah. And, and I said, yeah, you nailed it because this, the simplicity is what makes these portraits so great. And a lot of photographers overcomplicate their shots. Um, when really what you want to do is kind of get to the, get to the person. Right. And I feel like your work really does that so well. 
Yeah, thank you. That then then I'm then I'm succeeding, Rob, because uh, that's that's certainly my intention. Is uh, you know, because to me, it's really that's why I'm so interested in these people because I, I'm relishing and I'm just. I mean, every day I wake up with a distinct desire to stand in front of people and figure them out in a sense and like try to represent that experience to share with other people. So um, I, I'm, I'm sincerely interested in almost every and in, in, in literally everyone I photograph. I, if I'm not interested in them, I won't photograph them <laughs> and or I'll or I'll end the session quickly. And um, and that's the feeling I'm trying to get across. So it feels great that uh, that your students picked up on that. From from a cultural point of view, why do you think portraiture is important? I think that the democratizing essence of photography is really powerful. It's kind of the concept at large is what makes our modern world tick. There's there's very few borders and boundaries, and um, you know if you think about it, most people haven't been to the North or South pole or Mount Everest or the great wall of China, but they know exactly what it looks like. And they have a sense through photography, what it might be, what it might be like to be there. Um, and I think the same thing, uh, amounts to portraiture. Uh, you know, I think it's, you know, not everyone is going to be able to meet the president of the United States, but, um, having an artist have the opportunity to render, their perception of this person for you is really valuable and can tell you a lot about the person can tell you a lot about the artist can tell you a lot about the time and the culture in which they are living. Uh, so I think portraiture is an amazing tool. I mean, not only do I love making it, but I love looking at it and, uh, and it's just, you know, I couldn't imagine our age and time without it. Okay. Um, you, you assisted Annie Leibowitz and, and, Fairly recently, she she did that master class, you know, where she goes on and gives her. I, I sort of think of it more as. Did you watch it? I did. I, I did, and and I found it interesting because I was just listening to her philosophy about photography. That's really what I thought that was, and and I enjoyed it very much for that. Yeah, I'm certainly not going to show you how to take portraits, um, but one of the things that she says, and it's right in the trailer, that I'd love to get your thought on is she says, there's this idea in portraiture that it's the photographer's job to put the subject at ease. And she's saying she doesn't believe in that. How do you, how do you feel about that comment? Um, I mean, I think that comment in a vacuum is certainly a interest is certainly a, certainly a specific take on portraiture. Um, I think coming from Annie is, is, is a very, it's a very unique delivery of that line because if you think about the person who's saying it i mean annie is as famous as most of the people that she photographs i mean she's on she's a she's a literal peer and sometimes more famous um and very seldom less famous than the people that she's photographing so saying that it's not her job to put people at ease is it's a little bit different because she's coming from a perspective of probably being pretty intimidating um, most photographers don't have that opportunity to to kind of intimidate their subjects with their fame. Uh, so, you know, I think that, frankly, I think that she's not being very truthful because the Annie that I saw, although it wasn't it wasn't a lot of Annie, I mean, I only worked with her just a little bit. You know, she would she would put people at ease and she would do it. She would do it by just kind of 
through conversation, you know, uh, show them that she's a normal person just like they are. And they're just both very famous, normal people. (laughs) Um, and, and so, you know, I think, I think what she really means is that it's not her job to make her subject like her. I think that's probably a more accurate statement. And I think that's fine. I don't think that you need your subjects to like you. I think, uh, um, I think that your subject liking you does not necessarily correlate to a good portrait. I think your subject connecting with you and having a connection with you is correlated to making a good portrait, uh, especially in the style that Amy and I shoot, which is similar. But someone like Chris Buck, who embraces weirdness and embraces that air that palpable feeling of awkwardness through, you know, just comedy and anxiety. I mean, it's just, he's a weird guy in a great way. Um, you know, I think that it would work against him to, uh, you know, to, to try to make a subject like him. And I don't even think that he's even looking for a quote unquote connection in the way that I am. I think he's looking for a space in which to make art, uh, which is, which is great. Um, so I think there's different ways to skin the cat is kind of um, my point. I think it's a good point. When I'm thinking of her response to that, I, I also I, I think of other photographers, Richard Avedon, for example, I, I think would fall in the same same vein as you say, like she's as famous as the people she's photographing. Well, he was he was very much the same thing. Yeah. And if you read about if you read about Avedon you'll find that he had a very, there's funny, there's like a lot of interesting interplay between Annie and Avedon. And um, you'll find that he would say a similar thing. I mean, uh, he certainly was not trying to make his subjects like him, um, but he was looking for something very specific. And, and I think it was a connection. I mean, Avedon much more of a performative person than Annie. Certainly, but still looking looking for a connection in a similar way to Annie. Um, one of the things that I um, am constantly trying to encourage my students photography in is the idea of confidence and the role confidence can play in in being a photographer. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wonder, you know, what you your thoughts are on the role that confidence plays in your work, and and also a follow up question. I like to do this. Uh, have you ever felt intimidated photographing somebody knowing that they've been photographed by some of the best photographers in the world? I certainly do not get intimidated by photographing someone who's been photographed by other great photographers. I think that, um, if anything, I think it's a great resource for me to be able to see what other, what my peers have done with the subject. And so I kind of can kind of do it. Like, it's like great research to know, what's been done, what's been done well, what's been done poorly and kind of, I, I, I welcome it, uh, to have other, have other great images of the person I'm going to photograph out there. Um, but as far as confidence goes, I mean, it's a confidence is a, is a tricky fickle beast. I think that there are times to have it and times to not times to question yourself and times to be unsure of yourself. And then there's times to, uh, be confident. And, you know, I think it's a really difficult skill, but important skill to figure out when to do 
one and when to do the other. Um, you know, when you walk into a room and people are looking at you to, to be running the show, confidence is important. Um, it is important for people to know that you are the person that is making the decisions when that is your role. Um, and if you are not confident then people will lose confidence in you and your ability to perform and, and produce. Uh, so having confidence in what you do is, is extremely important. Um, you know, but then there's times to try to look at your work objectively and, uh, figure out how you can be better and figure out what you can do better. I mean, I think that a great example of this, is, uh, in, in a real sense in my own work is, um, you know, I walk, I walk into every shoot with an arrow. I know exactly what I'm doing and what I want to do. And I, and I try to go and execute to the best of my ability. I would say that most of the subjects and clients I work with would walk away from shoots thinking that it went great and that we made great work. Um, and then as soon as I get in the car with my assistants to, uh, to head back to the studio with all of our equipment, I immediately start asking them what we did wrong and what we could have done better. And, uh, and I start complaining about all the things that went wrong and all the things that sucked and everything that was bad. And, and new assistants will just be like really blown away. They're like, well, I thought it was going great. And, I, and then they won't know that there had anything had gone wrong. And I was like, yeah, of course you thought it was going great. I'm not going to, I'm not going to wear on my sleeve the emotion of things that are, are going poorly in front of clients and subjects. And so almost, almost our entire trip back to the office and then sometimes even into the office and after everything's packed up, we're talking about how could we improve, you know, what, what didn't we have that we needed? Uh, how, if we're put in the same position again, what are we going to do differently? And we try to bring that to our next shoot. Amazing. So how do you go about creating rapport with your your subject when you typically with celebrities have such a very short, short window to work in? The answer to that is preparation. Preparation and and more preparation and then more preparation after that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think that when you have, uh, when one of your constraints is time, then you better have everything going the way you want it to go that you can control. There's things you can't control. You can't control what kind of mood your subject's in. You can't control um, a variety of factors, but there are factors that you can control. How is your equipment working? What's your game plan? Does everyone on your team know the plan and what's about to happen? Uh, what is in my brain as far as the kinds of talks conversation I'm going to lead people down? What what do I want to do visually? Uh, what situations do I want to put people in? Uh, what do I want to ask them to do? What are my backup plans? What happens if my first idea isn't accepted? What happens if my second idea isn't accepted? What happens if the person's extremely difficult or having a bad day? What happens if they're overly nice and I and they kind of make me forget what I was going to do? Um, uh, you know, there's just there's just like so many factors and different variables that you you can't control when you have a little only a brief window of time and no margin for error the best thing you can do is prepare for all scenarios on your website you say that you ask a lot of questions during your sessions and i guess that's part of the rapport process 
But um, when you're meeting somebody for the first time, and particularly if they're a celebrity, like what kinds of questions might they be? Kinds of questions you'd meet, you'd ask, you know, someone you were meeting for the first time uh, at a bar or, uh, you know, uh, or at a dinner party or, uh, or whatever, you know, I think I'm, I'm interested, like I said, I'm, I'm interested in making my images feel like you're standing in front of them. So I'm asking them questions that you wouldn't ask a normal person um, that you're introduced to. And, and a lot of that is, you know, sometimes it's, sometimes it's questions about the day or their day, or sometimes it's questions about their life or their history or the future or current events. Um, you know, I do a lot of research, especially with famous people. So I have a good idea before I meet them, what, what a topics of conversation might interest them. Uh, and so I'm, I'm usually equipped to talk about specific areas of interest, whether that's art, music, uh, politics, current events, you know, locations, geog geography, travel, you know, education, all kinds of stuff. Uh, and, and I just go in that direction. It's, it's, it's very kind of base human interaction. It's, it's not, it's certainly not, you know, the reason why I'm photographing them usually. It's not because it's not like about how famous they are or like what they're, what they're, Oh my God, what was it like to be in your current movie? Or what was it like to do this? Or what was it like to do that? It's, it's much more, where are you from? How's your family? Uh, where are you going? How's your day? Uh, what are you, I, I, I read that you were into, this this kind of painting i think that's cool because i like this kind of painting talk to me about that you know like uh it, it's it's very uh it, it's an attempt to i wouldn't ask them a question that i wouldn't be able to ask myself yeah um i'm i'm by no means a celebrity photographer myself but um some years ago i had the opportunity to fly to texas to photograph phil collins that's cool. Phil Collins is awesome. I love Phil Collins. How was that? Well, it was great when it happened, but I was I was just sweaty and nervous all the way to the shoot, basically. Um, thinking about a guy whose music I had listened to pretty much my entire life, both in Genesis and his solo career. But um, like you have suggested already in the interview today, I did do some research and uh, I found out that the reason we were going to Texas is because he was absolutely fascinated with the Alamo. He has a massive personal collection of artifacts from the Alamo. So he's a bit of a big history buff in that area. And so we got uh, talking about history. Um, I'm, I'm from Niagara. We had the Battle of 1812 where the Americans were fighting the British. And he was very interested in the Battle of the Alamo, the Mexicans versus the, the Americans there. So... So that's what we talked about the entire time that, uh, that we did the photo session. And it just felt comfortable and natural and easy when for weeks leading to the session, I was just freaking out, wondering what the heck we were going to talk about. And, and mm -hmm. I think, I think it's almost too bad that more people couldn't have more connections with celebrities to realize that they are just normal people. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, uh, the reason why, I think I think it would be difficult even if people had more interaction with celebrities um because the default 
maybe if individuals had more interactions with celebrities, uh, you know, uh, but you know, that's inherently impossible because they're so, there's a reason why they're popular, you know, there's a reason why they're a celebrity, they're popular. And so that means that a ton of people want their time, uh, because a ton of people are fans of what they do. So, you know, I think why it's so difficult for celebrities to interact with other people at large is because, when someone meets a celebrity, their interaction is usually very, very about themselves. Uh, and, and it's natural. They have a relationship with someone that doesn't know them. And so they want to express to them, they want to try to express what that relationship means. And it's very natural. You know, uh, a lot of times people have spent hours and hours and hours of their life having a relationship with someone they've never met. I've done this too. And so when they meet that person, they're, they're, they're like, oh, my God, I want to tell you about how about uh, about us. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, and that's a very strange position to be in because a celebrity is like, cool, man, I I can't empathize with that. I can't empathize with with your relationship with me. Um And so it, it's a very natural inclination. However, it is extremely um, foolhardy to think that that is a way to connect with someone. Um, the best way to connect with them is to empathize with how they are living their life in the moment. And, and so whenever I meet a celebrity, I, I, I rarely, and, and apps, you know, actually, you know, almost never try to explain to them their relationship to myself. Um, because, because there's just, you just, what can you do with that? What can you do with that information? Well, let's get on a topic that I know I th- that you will uh, jump on, and that is music. Yeah. Music, playlist, right? Yeah. Um, talk about the importance of music in photography, in your photo sessions. I mean, music is so important. I think that music is a universal human thing, and uh, everyone connects with music. I've met, like tens of thousands of people in my life and I can only, and, and the ones that have told me they don't like music have stuck out. So, I mean, it's been like five people and I just think they are the weirdest people, uh, in the whole world. (laughs) Uh, so it's, it's such a universal, uh, universal need of humans. So I, I, I capitalize on that. I use music. I use music to connect with people. I use music to set moods. I use music to uh, to help put people in a mindset subconsciously that I'm trying to get them into to connect with me. Um, if we know music connects people, then music can connect me to somebody else, and it's it's just a, such a great tool. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't go on a shoot without it. Most of your website, um, Jesse, is is individual portraits, and a lot of those are close ups. Um, but you have a few group shots there. You've got your your uh, Downton Abbey and the Last Jedi sessions. How much does it change the dynamics for you when you are asked to photograph a large group of people? And those people typically all know each other and they're all going to get along okay, I, I would assume. Just in terms of technically and just sort of like herding cats, like what's, what's it like getting one of those shoots together, especially in those short short periods of time they give you? There's, it's so, it's such a different skill set. Uh, uh, anything more than one, you know, there, shooting one person is, is its own thing. Shooting two people is its own thing. Shooting three people is its own thing. And then shooting three or more people 
is its own thing. It's you, you it's a totally different ball game. It's like it's like doing it's like doing a different you know, it's like a different medium almost. Um, the difference between individual and group shots. You know, I think that group shots are extremely challenging. Like you said, people know each other and that's that's actually a little, a little bit of a hindrance because they're all kind of self-conscious about what each other is doing. They're looking to each other all the time instead of looking to me, uh, which is a problem. So like you said, herding cats, herding cats is in, in a group portrait setting is even harder when they know each other. Cause they're just talking to each other and you just want people to look at you and look at the camera. I mean, eye contact is really important, obviously. And, um, and getting eye contact in a group picture is surprisingly difficult. You have to, um, speaking of confidence, you have to be confident. You have to be loud. You have to be staccato in your in your direction, so that people really understand they should be looking at you, um, because they naturally don't want to, because they're worried about what other people are doing in the scene. So, changing your tone and uh, your kind of performative demeanor is really important in the group shot. You know, technically, you know, you have to scale up your your equipment and your situation you know uh if you use if you use sets you have to make sets bigger if you use artificial lighting you have to make those sources bigger um you know everything just becomes bigger and uh and bigger can be more challenging certainly for me personally my lighting concepts stay pretty consistent regardless of the size of what I'm doing. So, you know, scaling up and scaling down isn't, isn't inherently like I'm reinventing the wheel, but it does prevent, uh, present challenges that you don't have in a, in a a one-on-one portrait session. You know, it's, it's, they're both hard, but group shots are extremely difficult. Outside of uh, this is this is kind of a technical question, because a lot of photographers that aren't working in big metro cities don't really understand fully this concept of licensing photographs or usage fees or any of these kinds of things. And um, you're you have um, uh, a, a company Redux Pictures and you have your, your work licensed through Redux, I believe. Can you explain, describe to the layman mm-hmm. photographer who just kind of doesn't get that whole concept of like fees, licensing, usage, that sort of thing. How does that work? Uh, I mean, in a very generic way, most of the time you own the copyright to your picture. Uh, and uh, that is a potential tool to generate more income for you uh, in relicensing that picture for a different different publication or use than it was initially intended for. Um you know, that being said, there's like a lot of asterisks to that statement. Um, you know, there's a lot of extenuating circumstances, you know, it depends on, depends on who you shot it for. It depends on what you shot it of, it depends on who's licensing it, what they're licensing it for. Um, there's, there's a lot of rules, but, uh, you know, if you're photographing newsworthy people in a newsworthy setting, um, then that image generally is allowed to be used and bought by other news outlets. And uh, and then a lot of times, you know, subjects 
that I photograph will purchase pictures of themselves for themselves, for their own uses. Um, and sometimes, you know, average companies will want to purchase pictures of people, but in those scenarios, usually they need the permission of the person as well. So it's a complicated kind of sector of my business, but it's also a very small one, I would say. I mean, I do not spend a lot of my time focusing on resale. I have, I have, uh, I have Redux. They're great. They do a majority of it. I get a report every month that says, Oh, Hey, your pictures were in this, these places and here's some money. And it's, it's, it's great. Um, and sometimes we will license directly with my agent. We will do bigger licensing deals with specific individuals. Yeah, it's not too bad, but um, but it's certainly not something that gets a ton of my attention. I kind of put it on autopilot because, frankly, the the uh, amount of uh, the percentage of my income that comes from that um, is n- not significant, not insignificant, but it's not significant. Right. Your uh, studio, like, are you in your studio right now? Is that where you're recording from? I'm in my office. Yeah. So is this, this is the one that's in the Dumbo area in New York? Exactly. So for those, for those Canadians that don't know what uh, Dumbo uh, actually stands for, it's down under the Manhattan Bridge overpass. Many have said that, that New York is the greatest city in the world. And I think you'd probably agree with that. But does working in New York also bring along a, a certain set of challenges of its own? Yeah, absolutely. Working in New York can be challenging. I mean, I think it's a it's a give and take. I think that uh, being in New York provides an literal top of the line opportunity for you as a photographer. Everyone in the world who is accomplished comes through New York. So, uh, so there's no place I'd rather be taking pictures than a place that gives me the most opportunity. Um, that being said, there are a lot of people in New York. So, so the New York presents its own production challenge of navigating the city, navigating, um, you know, navigating the, the people and the place and the traffic. Um, but to me, those are all solvable problems. Um, and they don't bother me at all. You know, we, we account for them. We account for the city when we, when we, uh, solve the problem of doing our work and and there's a lot of competition here, obviously, too. But again, you know, I'm lucky in that I'm a working artist and and have established a name for myself at this point. And and so I feel like that is less of a problem for me. But uh, but it certainly still is. You know, there's a lot of people here that want to. There are a lot of really good photographers here. Uh, so, you know, if one was thinking about coming to New York City to be a photographer, yeah, certainly you would want to take into consideration that there's a ton of opportunity, but there's also a ton of people that fill that need of taking portraits in this city. So uh, competition is high, opportunity is high, difficulty is high, but also access to resources is extremely high. I mean, there's photo labs and photo rental equipment places and photo studios and there's personnel and there's, you know, there's people to help and there's places to live and places to go and places to take pictures. So it's, it's a whole big one ball of New York. (laughs) The big apple. Gotta love it. Um, let's talk gear just briefly. I know you shoot with the Hasselblad and you, you try to do that at a lot of your sessions, maybe all your sessions, but you also shoot digital. What are you typically shooting for the digital camera? 
Right now I'm using Canon, um, a month for 5D Mark IV, but you know, I use all different kinds of cam uh, cameras. I use Phase. Um, I've used Nikon in the past. Um, I've used Leica. Uh, I've used Hasselblad Digital. I haven't done a lot of mirrorless yet because it's not really something that's a big need for my specific type of shooting. Uh, but, you know, I feel really... I, listen, I think the Canon 5D Mark IV is a great camera. I think it's an amazing camera. It's helped me take a lot of really, really good pictures. I have no complaints about it whatsoever. I'm not going to try to um, fix something that isn't broken. So I, I think it's a high quality camera. I think a lot of cameras are super high quality. I think there aren't that many cameras that are not high quality. Um, you know, these cameras have gotten really, really good. And I have a strong, strong belief that the, the tool is uh, secondary. And that's what's much more important is your aesthetic vision and your artistic vision and what you're trying to go out and accomplish. You know, a lot of different tools can get you to that end line. Um, and we use the right camera for the job. You know, that's the bottom line. We, we, we seek out the tools that are going to help us get our desired results. Um, and there's a lot of different tools out there. It's, it's, it's a little bit overwhelming. Yeah. Um, the other very important tool obviously is light. And, um, so for the signature look that, that you create, uh, what's your preferred, uh, light, what kind of modifier do you use? You know, that, that would be helpful for some photographers listening just to get a sense of what you're using. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I use all different kinds of light sources, but, um, you know, I just did a photo shoot. Uh, my most recent photo shoot I did outdoors and I didn't use any, I used all natural light. Um, so I, I definitely, um, kind of ebb and flow, uh, depending on a host and variety of factors, but you know, my, most of my pictures are taken with a Fotex soft lighter. It's a, it's a something like an $80 or a hundred dollar modifier, not super expensive. It's what Annie Leibowitz uses on most of her pictures. You know, if it's good enough for her, it's good enough for me. Um, and I use pro photo primarily, but like, you know, pro photo like Canon is, you know, like Braun color, Ellen Chrome, you know, these are all very, uh, similar, quality, quality objects. It's about what works best for you, what feels good for you and what's going to work in your workflow best. Um, you know, I like my light to feel like the sun or some version of the sun, because as we talked about, uh, most of my work is attempting to make it feel like people are standing in front of the person that I'm standing in front of. And most of the people that you interact with on a daily basis are illuminated by one light source and that is the sun. So therefore you are most, uh, you know, you are, you are conditioned to see people in the light of that light source. And so therefore a picture of a person in that light source or a light source that mimics the sun in some capacity is something that's going to feel very familiar to you. Uh, so that, that what's, that's what drives my desire to use the soft lighters and their circular sources. They're, they're, you know, I'm usually putting, um, an umbrella, a light source that's about six feet in diameter, five feet in diameter, close to a person's face. So, you know, they're, they're usually pretty large sources. 
Um, and, uh, and I try to keep it simple because, uh, because there's a lot of really difficult variables going on besides lighting and, uh, whatever I can keep as simple as possible will, will help me make the picture I want to make. Awesome. Well, this hour well, has gone really quick. Um, it's probably <laughs> gone a little over, so I appreciate the time. Um, last question I'll ask today. Um, what's, what's ahead for you? What are you, what are your future goals? Um, you're, you're a young photographer still, and, uh, you've got a lot of years of shooting ahead of you. Like what's, what's the future going to hold for Jesse Dittmar? I hope so, Rob. Uh, yeah, we're, we're motivated. We're, we're the, myself and my team are motivated to, uh, to keep hitting the pavement and keep taking portraits of accomplished people. Um, and, and that's what we're, that's what I'm trying to do is sustain, sustain what I'm doing. I mean, I literally, if you would have asked me six years ago, what I want to be doing, it would be this. And so I feel very lucky. I feel very, very lucky. Um, I've worked very hard. I'm extremely privileged, but I'm also very lucky to be sitting here having, you know, talking to you about doing work that I've wanted to do since I was 16 years old. It's crazy. Um, and, and surreal. And, uh, and I couldn't, I wouldn't be doing anything else. I can't be doing anything else. This is what I'm doing. This is what I will be doing. Um, so, you know, I think, I think I already work with publications that I admire. Uh, you know, I work with the New York times. I work with the Washington post. I've worked with brands that I, that I am huge fans of like Apple. Um, these are, I'm already shooting for people that I want to be shooting for. Um, there's certainly more publications and brands that I would like to shoot for more regularly that I admire as well. Like, you know, like Vanity Fair and the New Yorker and, and new, uh, new media brands like, like the ringer, um, or, or even five thirty eight or, uh, you know, brands that might not be shooting portraits yet that I hope, hope will, uh, maybe pivot and start using someone like me to take, take images of the people that are writing about, um, you know, as, as publications, get more digital. I want to be working with brands and, and publications in the digital space that are forward thinking and taking risks and can use the skill set of someone like myself. Um, so I'm constantly searching for those, those, uh, people to really be, a, to be partners and be a, be a champion of mine and, and give me the opportunity to go make great work. Um, they're out there and, and I'm always in contact with them. Um, and then there's just like the infinite amount of people that I haven't photographed yet that I want to photograph. You know, I think I might, my, my list is long and it is, it is vast. And, uh, and there's people that I don't even know exist that are on the list <laughs> because, uh, because when someone calls me to photograph someone and I don't know who they are, that means I've just expanded my learning and expanded my brain and now know about someone else in the world that is making a difference and, and, uh, affecting someone else's life. Uh, and so I'm just excited and jacked up to meet that person and photograph them. Um, so, you know, as long, you know, it'll be, it'll, it'll be trying to sustain this level of creativity until I'm just too old and tired. <laughs> that's, that's the goal. Well, I hope there's going to be another book on the horizon. Uh, certainly would look forward to that. Do you think there will be? Yeah, it's something I'm always thinking about. You know, absolutely. I certainly have, um, I certainly have the work to make something 
you know, making a book is one of the most challenging things I've ever had to do. Um, it's, uh, it's something that you can't pause your career to do. You have to do it in the middle of it. And so therefore you're working overtime, uh, when you're making something like a book and, but it's, you know, extremely rewarding. And, uh, you know, for, for someone to be able, for your students to be able to hold my book in their hands and there to be a Abaddon book on the shelf or the, or a Nigel Perry book on the shelf or a Martin Scholler, Annie Leibovitz book on the shelf, the ones that I tore down off the shelf when I was 16 is, is amazing to me, literally the definition of amazing. So, um, you know, again, I never thought I would have, I mean, I never really thought that that was going to be something that would be a possibility for me. And and yet I'm here and it is. And so I certainly am not shying away, uh, to recreate that and have, have me be able to have two books on that shelf instead of one. Um, and it's definitely something that's in the cards. Uh, we'll just have to make sure the concept's right and make sure that I'm making something that is, um, uh, that is worth making. Well, Jesse, um, I just, I just have enjoyed this conversation with you so much. Thanks, Rob. Can you let our listeners know where they can find you online, um, your website and Instagram? Yeah, the best way to keep up with my new work is follow me on Instagram. Uh, my, my name is my handle, Jesse Dittmar two T's J E S S E double D I double T M A R. Uh, that's my website as well as just my name.com. And, uh, and if you want to pick up the book we've been talking about, there's really only a couple left. Uh, so, uh, but you can get it and you can get it signed by me by going to, uh, to the book.com. That's T W O the book.com. Awesome. Well, again, Jesse, I cannot uh, express my gratitude to you enough. It's been fabulous talking to you today. Hopefully I can make it to New York City sometime in the future and uh, we can go out and have a lunch. Yeah, absolutely. And it's been great to connect with uh, our my northern neighbor, um, a big Canada fan. So, uh, you know, you guys are always uh, making us making us look bad and uh, being nicer than us and uh, more humble and uh, and seeming to have a better quality of life. So I'm jealous. I'm a little jealous. It's been good to get a little bit of your energy here in New York City. It's been exciting. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. All right, Rob. Thanks for joining us on the Photo Pros Podcast. We hope you'll subscribe. And if you enjoyed today's conversation, we'd love for you to leave us a review on iTunes. Again, thanks for listening.